Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we are sticking with our whole theme this summer about having practitioners, CMOs, VPs of marketing, marketing leaders on the program to talk to you about their journey and their experiences and share some really great insights. And today on the program, I am pleased to be joined by Judy Ash. Judy is the Chief Marketing Officer at Certant. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a little backstory, but first, Judy, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you, Dave. I am so excited to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation and uh, learning from you, as I always do in every conversation we have. Well, thank you. I am I am as well, and and I I really want to start with uh, what I, what I said to you, but I didn't tell you what I was going to say, which is just like the biggest the biggest hug and thank you ever. Um, for those of you that don't know, and it's, and it's probably all of you, about <laughs> a little over 10 years ago, um, Judy and I didn't know each other. Judy was at NetApp. Uh, she was a director of global marketing uh, and operations there. And this is in the like 2007, 2008 timeframe. My company was just getting off the ground. We were a small little company with, I don't know, maybe eight people, maybe 10 people at the time. And Judy mm-hmm. and the NetApp down there were going through a major transformation initiative and brought in Eloqua as their marketing automation system, worked with a big, gigantic global company on that deployment. And we missed out on that opportunity. We just were not the right, um, not at the right stage at that point. And they needed, you know, a company that had really kind of done that scale and magnitude of a global company at that, at that time. And, you know, I said to Judy, you know, unfortunately, we missed this opportunity, but would love the opportunity one day to work with you. And so fast forward several, I mean, I guess about a year later after that. It was about a year. Yeah. yeah. It was about a year. You had an initiative to now roll out, <clears throat> excuse me, a global demand center. And this time I was more prepared. I had partnered with a company in other countries. We had scaled up our team and we made a real uh, play for the business and won the business. And Judy, what's amazing about this story, which I don't know if you know all the details, and there's a little sadness um, in it as well, is that at that time, we said, oh my gosh, we won the business. And now we need to put like a world-class team on this uh, and make sure that these guys are really delighted with the service. So we ramped up and hired those people. And I want to let you guys know that every single one of those team members, this is more than 10 years later, is still at Demand Gen, with the exception of two. One is a happy story, and that is Brenda, who was the team lead. Uh, she retired at Demand Gen, which is exciting. And unfortunately, Joe, one of the team members, Joe Dale, passed away during the COVID period, uh, not from COVID, but other health complications. But the reason that I wanted to start there, Judy, is like, I don't know if you realize that you in that decision and in that initiative created so many careers uh, for for people at Demand We brought people in um, that one, Joe, and for example, was a, a, a war vet and had never worked in Eloqua before. And so we onboarded him uh, and trained him for months and got him ready. And he became one of the, the best team members and just really uh, incredible. So thank you for taking a bet on us when we were a small little acorn that wanted to grow. And, and that engagement like I said, spanned more than 10 years, really, really helped us grow. And it's it's been fun. So thank you for taking a bet. Appreciate it. 
Well, wow. I, I remember that project in particular. It was one of those seminal career projects because at the time, if you recall, Eloquo was a startup pre-IPO, very yeah. small, getting started. Um, the team was new. Marketing automation was at, at the early stages. And we were, uh, NetApp was still sending email out via Outlook batches, just batch and blast, right? Amazing. And yeah. and that project was just sort of one of the catalysts that drove me to just fall in love with marketing technology and demand generation, demand generation process. But in combination with that, it was actually working with you and your team um, to deploy. Because there's sort of one piece that says, let's just get the system turned on, which is challenging in and of itself in a yeah. large global organization, right? But then you have to operate it. And you really need operational specialists to walk alongside the team because we don't know what we don't know. And mm. it was a huge lesson in for many team members on that. I wouldn't singularly take credit for it at all. I think it was the combination of demand gen and the team together at the time, right? I remember Kristen Kafer and Tracy Hansen and Kim Mai yeah. and all of these people that really partnered so closely together to make it successful and to make it scale. And, you know, um, I, so I'm, I'm touched by your story. Um, I am, I'm like, I'm speechless actually. I don't know what to say because it was really really generous of you to to call it out, but it was really a team. Yeah. Well, it was a game changer for us and, and help demand gen really scale. You know, when you, when you have a client investing half a million to a million dollars a year, with you and you have that, you know, type of contract, it really enables you to grow the business. So from a selfish perspective, it was amazing. But what you, what you do also don't know is that, like you mentioned, Kristen. So Kristen's been a phenomenal leader there. She's still at NetApp and mm-hmm. working with her and Sebastian now for, uh, you know, Sebastian, I think has been there about six years. And what that engagement led to, Judy, is we started building very custom applications for NetApp, we built an email governor, we built a platform called Campaign Launchpad for Eloqua and a number of other tools. And those tools have gone on to enable other companies, uh, for example, Neighborly right now, which is a you know, very large company over a billion dollars that has, I think, 3,000 franchises out there as part of their platform. And they're using Campaign Launchpad to deploy Eloqua to all these different franchises. So that engagement just has so many different branches uh, that came off of it. And, and an interesting part of the story now is that they're no longer, they're in the process of changing from Eloqua to Marketo. We did their spin up of Marketo and doing their migration. So the journey uh, continues and it's just very cool. But let's fast forward. For, for those of you who uh, want to pull up LinkedIn, I'll just give you a summary. Uh, you know, Judy's role was director of global marketing and operations there, but then she went to Enphase Energy. She took our team with us there and led global marketing and then once again led. Uh, corporate marketing at Big Switch, and is now the CMO at Certain, as I mentioned. And I'd love to talk about, you know, the the job of the CMO uh, these days and how hard that that job is and how mm-hmm. technical it has become. And mm-hmm. you, said you, you bit the bug, right? When when uh, Eloqua came in at NetApp and, and all the technology there to follow. So how have you, let's start there. Like, yeah, you like technology, but how have you adjusted from being kind of the traditional global marketing role and CMO to having this kind of right brain and left brain aspect uh, to the job these days? 
Um, that's a great question. I think that, so, you know, since we started in this in the Eloqua days with NetApp and, and now you just look at the proliferation of technologies and the fact that we can digitally track uh, people who are interested in our solutions and, um, you know, really know what they're interested in, track behaviors. It's a little bit creepy, but the reality is, as a marketer, we have more information now than we ever have. And the proliferation of technologies, if you look at Scott Brinker's map, what is it, over 8,000, 9,000 different technologies in 25 different categories, and you have the advent of AI. And, you know, I think one of the things we talked about was just the fact that marketers have to be technical. And we still have to have a mindset of creativity and ideation and, you know, just to make messaging um, stand out, you know, especially now in COVID days when everything is digital, there's really very limited in person beyond Zoom. Um, and that is as effective as it can be in this day and age. Um, but we have to be different. Our message has to be profound. And so as a CMO, we're not just tasked with driving marketing and driving demand and building pipeline and really becoming a revenue leader. So this whole idea of revenue operations is now forefront. And I think we see, if not closer alignment than ever before between sales and marketing, almost the merge of roles. And I think that the fine line is the timeline we look at, the time horizon. Marketing still looks out six months to drive demand sales still looks next this quarter this month right to close business to keep the business growing to keep revenue growing um but i would say that our job as business leaders is tougher um because of all those things right and so um we you know we're faced with change daily look at this year who would have thought this year would unfold the way it has you know, up, up in Sacramento area, I'm smelling campfire from all the fires yeah. in my home, right? So it's been one thing after another. And yet we have to, you know, we have to think about from a leadership perspective, resilience and motivation for our teams because we're all trying to move forward. And so it's, it's, it's a harder job, but I would say in a positive way, it's a it's absolutely a growth opportunity and an opportunity for creativity and an opportunity to do things that maybe we're not so comfortable with, but create new behaviors for us that are more productive or, you know, just more fun. Right. It's all about the creativity and the silver lining and all the stuff that's going yeah. on right now. You, you and I have always well, we, we've not always we've developed a relationship, a very high trust relationship and feel like we can always talk very openly with each other. So I want to ask a question, which is, um, and ask you to be as vulnerable and open. And, and I, I think a lot of people listening would, would, um, be able to emotionally connect, which is, is the role scarier, the role of the CMO as a marketing leader? Is it scarier because of the diversity and complexity of the role, right? As you said, when I started in marketing, I mean, I've always been a geek, as you know, like I like technology. <laughs> Yes, market. We, do. we yes. were talking about my camera and microphone before we got well, on your drone camera and the family videos and all this stuff that you do. That's yeah. so great. I like so toys great. and technology, but yes. I love people and I love marketing, but I have that technical bent for those folks that are, you know, heads of marketing or going to be CMOs in this era, especially larger companies. 
they may not have started their career much beyond Adobe's creative tools, Photoshop mm-hmm. and Illustrator and all those. And now you're running almost an IT department inside of marketing with all the technology and infrastructure needed to drive growth and drive revenue. So is the job more daunting or scarier or more rewarding from your your perspective? And maybe share yours and then what you might venture to guess for, for your peers. Yeah, so I'm not scared by the job. I was quite excited to step into the shoes of CMO at certain. I was really excited to have the opportunity to kind of achieve something that I had worked really hard to pursue, right? And um, yet in talking with my peers, I think they would all tell you the job's hard, especially as a first-time CMO, right? So you're learning a lot of things, Not frankly, not just about marketing. We have to have a business hat. We have to think about it from the perspective of what's the best trade-off in investment for the business? And, you know, as selfish as I want to be and say, let's just put more into demand gen. Let's drive another campaign. Let's hire another person. It actually might be that you have to make a decision to hire an engineer or, you know, sales rep for more capacity, or, you know, it's, it's kind of putting the, the bigger picture at the forefront. Um, and so, you know, there have been moments when I've been like, holy crap, what am I going to do now? Right. Mm-hmm. And there have been failures, right. I have failed. And I heard someone say that's one of the most empowering statements we can make as leaders is I effed up, right? I just, and so can we quickly, you know, learn from that mistake, uh, remedy to the best of our ability and move on, right? So it has in me created, you know, I would say more expertise in marketing and, and getting really efficient with the team and hiring practices and all of that, but more about, the growth for me has been more in this, you know, business acumen, depth of business acumen, and just what it takes to really drive growth in a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and being on the executive staff and ha- and knowing that, you know, your decisions affect people's jobs, they affect product line release, they affect all aspects of the business, right? And I have found it exciting and um I'm a curious mind anyway, so I always want to know more. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it's every lesson from, oh, that campaign didn't do so well to, you know, hiring the right team members, getting people to, you know, just understanding how long does it take for people to really learn how to work together when they are a new team? And it's not easy. That's that's probably one of my biggest lessons is just the people aspect of this and you know, focus on trying to get things done on my task list, right? That have to get done to drive us forward. And yet people being people, they need time to settle in. And the vulnerability there is sometimes it worked between personalities and sometimes it didn't. Mm-hmm. And those are the hardest. I think as leaders, that's one of the hardest things we have to wrestle with is our team and taking care of them. Because at the end of the day, I care about all, everyone, right? On my yeah. team, I care deeply about every single one of them, right? Yeah. You do. You do. It's your nature. Um, you you uh, in the role of the CMO. One of the things Julie Knight said on the podcast that I did with her recently, uh, she said, I've made it a point of really befriending the CFO in my role now as CMO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your, your perspective on that. I'd also love for you to talk about now as CMO, your relationship with the board, because when you're at in the C-suite level, all of a sudden you're talking to a whole different 
audience mm-hmm. uh, the board. So love for you to share your views there. And if, if that's, if yeah, you, if you uh, share those views. Yeah. So um, CFO first. So um, our CFO, uh, you know, it's kind of one of, you know, you have a best friend in your CFO when they're challenging you, right? It's kind of one of those things where you're a partner and if they're questioning you on why this investment, what's it going to bring to the, the team or the, the what's the business results going to tie to? Um, are we sure we want to spend this much or that much, right? As for me, like anyone that gets in my way and slows me down, it's a little bit annoying, Um but yet I grew to appreciate those questions um, and still do, right, with making sure we're spending the right way and that we're thinking about it um, from a results perspective, right? And that is just a discipline and a rigor that I would tell you my CFO is my, was my best business buddy. Let me say it that way, right? And he, he would um, bring a level of accountability and investigation that um, – you know, I didn't always appreciate, but at the end of the day, after the fact, I said, man, he really had my back. He really had my back. And that kind of partnership is essential. It's essential. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like uh, the CFO is your investor. And when you're new in the role, it's like you're going for your Series A funding. You know, you're yeah. you're saying, I'm new. Here's my vision. And you're expected to do things differently, right? So right. the new That's right. The new, like, you know, Judy's going to shake it up. She's going to come with new programs, you know, maybe have to do some branding initiatives, some website initiatives, hire people that we haven't hired to restructure. And you and you go for that that angel round or seed round of funding. And then when you demonstrate success and, of course, have failures, because that's part of it, not every dollar in marketing pays off, nor does every dollar in sales pay right. off, right? That's actually right. Marketing has, a, has a better hit rate um, than sales in, in general, in my experience. But you got to fail forward and then you have to go report on that learning how to report results back to your investors. The CFO is probably one of the most critical roles that I learned. Uh, and, and, and a place where I had to really mature a lot because I was so early in my career tracking like website analytics and all these very tactical, um, measurements, open rates, click through rates, e-commerce transactions, all these little things when they really only care about one thing and that's, Revenue and, and pipeline and, right. and everything they, else noise. Well, and they care about they care about how does marketing accelerate those two things: growth, yeah. revenue, sales pipeline, right? And that is um, an ongoing learning opportunity for me. Is you know yeah. understanding what's the right level of detail to share with yeah. our board. Yeah. Um, I love data just like you do. I geek out on data. I want to go to the nth degree. I want to do cohort analysis. I want to do Romy analysis. I want to show all that. And it, explaining that level of detail to a board member who is not in the details every single day is yeah. really tough. So I've, I'm learning to keep it at a level that is sufficient to answer their questions and to build confidence that marketing is doing its part of a whole yeah. ecosystem that's driving gro- growth and yeah. success in the business that we care about our customers. We want to showcase them. Um, and, you know, here's the direct tie between an initiative level, right. Which is multiple campaigns, honestly, if you think about the hierarchy mm-hmm. of it, right. Initiative level impact to drive pipeline and growth 
and where appropriate to highlight an individual campaign that happens to be a shining star, right? And it can be a shining star or it can be, frankly, a little bit of vulnerability to say, hey, we tried this inside this initiative. It didn't work as well as we thought. Here's what we learned. We're pivoting to this direction, right? And and our board appreciates all of that, right? Mm-hmm. But it's that it's communicating crisply, um, clearly the story of how marketing supports the whole business, right? Yeah. And and that's that's the combination. And we've talked about, you know, what's the right visualization of the data to show that impact and that happens to be kind of hard (laughs) speaking of hard which kind of came back to where we started which is how hard the the role of cmo is so you have this you have this creative think outside the box Mm -hmm. uh, don't do what everyone else is doing in marketing what's the next great campaign or series of campaigns you've got that aspect you've got the technical aspect but you have this other which i think is the most important aspect and it 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 it's something that really shines with you and that is being a revenue driver and you in your career started actually in sales you didn't start in marketing and so you seem to love that rush of closing the deal but you're in marketing which is more and more these days driving all the way from click to close so talk Mm -hmm. about that in terms of how maybe having a career in sales has, has helped prepare you and, and suited you very well for marketing leadership. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, when we carry a quota, a number, and it's on our head, and we've been successful or even moderately successful at attaining it and understanding you, you, when we walk in other people's shoes, so when we walk in the sales rep's shoes, we understand what it takes to get noticed by your prospect. First of all, find the right person to talk to, who cares, um, who has authority, um, understand what their pain points are, have a conversation with them that resonates, right? Um, And then actually get something all the way through the process to close business. It's it's intricate and it's a hard job and it's Mm -hmm. stressful, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there are certain reps that we know in profile are super successful because they do they have this like recipe and it's, it's in their DNA, right. Of How they go after a new territory. They are by nature, strategic and tactical at the same time. Mm -hmm. They can quickly assess an opportunity. Um, And so I think having that kind of firsthand experience helps me be a better marketer because I know what each rep really needs. What do they need to be enabled Right. What is the talk that they need to what is the base set of materials marketing needs to provide in order to make my reps successful? And I want all of them at Quota Club. So, you know, having that drive and understanding what it means when you have a winning sales rep that serves the company really well. And Mm -hmm. it is exciting. It is exciting to, you know, walk alongside them, pursue a deal at a company where you're really targeting to get in win against your competition that's maybe three times bigger than you are, but you still yeah. win the business. That's huge. It gives me goosebumps talking about it because the effort it takes to win and marketing is absolutely part of all of that. Right. And it, and we know good marketing from not so good marketing pretty obviously when the brand isn't recognized as 
as instantly as we want it to be, or the conversation isn't as pointed to pain points, right? Because marketing is the messaging behind that in collaboration with sales, right? I, I'm a big believer in, you know, the salespeople are the are right in front of the customer or prospect. And so they hear firsthand what the objections are and how we need to position ourselves. So there's a whole goldmine of information that we can glean from a sales rep. Um, so I have have that DNA to a certain extent. I just uh, earlier in my career wanted to shift more to a marketing program because the stress of carrying the quota was just like, ah, I can't do this my whole career. So let me go this way and still be part of it, right? Do you feel like you carry a quota though now in, in marketing? Do you carry a quota? I actually do feel like that. I have an influence number and, and a source number and we have to, you know, drive the pipeline to support that. And we have to report on how well discrete campaigns are doing or initiatives are doing. So yeah, I actually do. It's not as scary though, when you have like an entire department to do that, as opposed, like you said, to like, it's sitting on your shoulders and yeah. you're, you're carrying the, the you're, you're, it, you're it in the territory. Yeah, exactly. Rob Bonham on our team uh, is our is our VP of sales and probably the best sales leader I've ever worked with. No, absolutely the best sales leader I've ever worked with in my career. And I'm not just saying that because he's at demand gen, but I'm saying that because like this guy never gets rocked. I mean, he is just cool as a cucumber and <laughs> every year puts up a bigger and bigger and bigger number for himself and his team. And he hits it and crushes it. And and when we had COVID uh, and, you know, aspects of our business, like new logo was slower than normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah, we got this. Don't worry. We're, we'll, we'll catch up. You know, markers aren't going away. And and these, you know, we got to work on the essential projects right now. And then we'll we'll keep this going. And I really admire that. I It's uh, it's it's not a role I'd want to carry my whole career. I don't know if you know this, if we ever talked about it, but um, I was graduating with my degree in marketing had this amazing professor, Jerry Rosen. He would bring in this work from his agency. He ran a mm-hmm. Los Angeles creative agency. And so I told him, I said, hey, I'm graduating in a few weeks. Would love to talk to you about career paths. I'm thinking in my head, like, wink, wink. How do I get a job at his agency? And <laughs> <laughs> I ran this campaign. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, come meet with me in my office. So I said, I said, Jerry, you know, that was a really cool project. We were doing a project for the beef industry. And I submitted two, you know, my two blackboards. One was, have you heard all the bull about beef? The other one was really inappropriate, Judy. I can say it to you. I'm, I hope I don't lose a listener. But again, this is college and he wanted edgy campaigns. It was don't beat your meat. And, and <laughs> he, he was like, they're not going to accept this campaign, Dave, but I like where you're going in terms of the bashing me because this is the this is the 80s and beef was like this is the worst thing you could eat you should eat chicken you should eat pork so beef was not people were not eating beef so anyway two campaigns and he's like you know you you definitely like this advertising thing and he goes can i give you some great career advice since you want to be in marketing i'm like yeah and i'm like okay he's he's gonna make me an offer i'm gonna be an intern or something and he goes you should go into sales and i'm like well, well i'm sorry say say that again <laughs> He goes, yeah, if you want to be a great marketer, you got to know why people buy and what it takes for a sales team to succeed because they're your partners in it. It was the greatest advice ever. So I spent several years literally in sales and then, you know, like 
I don't know, like I couldn't wait to get out because I wanted to run the air war. I didn't want to be, you know, a soldier, you know, uh, on the streets battling every single day. I wanted to be, I always think of marketing as like, you know, the, the air force, you know, we have, we can do much grander scale selling and, and influence back on, uh, an aspect of your team in terms of sales, you have the SDR team reporting to you mm-hmm. and would love for you to talk about that. Cause you basically have a sales function within mm-hmm. marketing, uh, Talk about how you lead and and work with that team and goal that team and prepare that team for success. Love to hear your perspective on it because there are some marketing teams that have SDRs report to them, some that's still in inside of sales and they have to collaborate. So love to share any recipes or lessons you have there of what's working and maybe what's not working. Yeah. So um, having uh, the SDR team at, at certain has been, for me, has been really um, an opportunity to learn Um you know, and kind of bring back some of the sales experience I had in the early days of my career, but also understand that it's different now because, again, back to technology of the digital age, right? And um, there is a lot more sophistication and play creation, right, in the SDR world. Um, a, a, a stronger set of metrics, if you're um, at all familiar with Topo, which I think is a great organization. Oh, yeah. Craig's work great. The way that they codify um, the SDR uh, capabilities, how to measure success, the training, the now you know AI technologies. Chorus AI is an example. Mm-hmm. And break down. You can actually listen to um, SDR conversations. Break them down into piece parts to know if your SDRs are hitting on all of the points. Right. So it's kind of getting very sophisticated Yeah. Uh, at certain. We have a ways to go there in terms of the technology and the infrastructure. We're all in HubSpot and our SDRs are in, in HubSpot. And we are spending um, a lot of time ensuring that the connection between HubSpot and our NetSuite CRM is working correctly. And that mm-hmm. the the opportunities, the leads, the qualified leads, the sales qualified leads, which is essentially a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Actually transitions effectively to our direct sales reps. And so part of it is making sure we've got the right volume, which mm-hmm. we work on constantly, constantly. We don't have enough. There's never enough, yeah. right? There's never enough. And that tension never goes away. Just let me tell you full face, full on. It just never just goes it. away. Just own it. They always want more. They're always <laughs> going to tell you this one isn't good. And you just kind of work through it and keep going, right? Um, um, and so it's, for me, the lessons have been in how, how do we optimize this whole process soup to nuts? How do we ensure that our each component of the activities responsible for that SDRs are responsible for are sufficient, right? How do you figure out what the right combination of touches is, are, to speed that meeting qualification and make sure that ultimately more of the SQLs go to closed one, right? Yeah. And that's what we're that's what we're working on. Um, what are the SDRs gold on? What's what's their measurement? They're, if you they're, today they're gold on meetings, number of meetings per quarter. Um, so everyone has a has a goal. Um, I I hope over time we can shift that and, you know, continue to drive excellence in the way that we we operate and drive it from qualified meetings to a measure of 
how much how much of the how many of those meetings actually go to pipeline and and help people understand this is my benchmark and I want to take this number to this number and raise it increase it over time right and just get better and better at the qualification stronger in the conversations stronger in the way that we enable them to have those conversations um, and that's that's a daily you know that's daily that we work on that, right? And- I had uh, Anna Bender on the podcast. Again, I, as you know, I, I do so many of these. I don't know if yours is before or after, but I did a recording with Anna Bender. It will air soon. She, um, I've known her since childhood, uh, you know, family friend. She's a BDR at Adobe, uh, still early in her career, about a year and a half in. And she talked about how she was called in by her manager for like, Anna, your, um, your activity volume I want you to see these dashboards. I think they use, yeah, with outreach. Um, you don't have as much activity as some of the others, but she's their top performer. And so she's all quality over quantity. And I like that you are goaling your team on booking meetings and not just, you know, other more tactical measurements. Because if a meeting is, a, you know, almost a leading indicator or momentum towards opportunity, then that's a, that's a thing, great thing to focus on as opposed to like how many emails you're sending or how many calls you're, you're making those type of things. I mean, you do have to measure some of those tactics like, like we do in other mm-hmm. aspects of the business because they can be a leading indicator to how many meetings you're going to get booked. But right. she really talked about how for her, she'd, she'd much rather take the time to research every prospect um, as much as she can and make the messaging as personalized, have that person feel like they, you know, that that person is the only person she has sent that message to, to be mm-hmm. more effective in it. Is that the right size team? Like, how do you figure out how big to make your SDR uh, team? Yeah, the infamous pipeline model and capacity model, right? Yeah. <laughs> and some of the ratios. So we have a, a an annual process, a planning process that look, gets looked at each quarter in terms of pipeline and based on our uh, ARR goals, uh, average selling price, Conversion rates from the previous year that we're taking into the new year, we calculate how many we need of each type (laughs) and goal people accordingly and look at, do we have enough capacity to make where we need to go? And, you know, obviously then it comes back to an investment decision, um, right? And if we can make the investment decision, great. If we can't, then we need to calibrate our goals to our capacity and, you know, push, obviously be aggressive, right? Set a high bar for performance, but also manage burnout. And I think the SDR job is probably the hardest job in the company, right? It's, it's a lot of no's before you get to a yes. So these people have to be super resilient and tough and encourage one another. It's almost like there is a culture within the SDR team to support one another. They're very close knit. Um, something that works for one might not work for another. Uh, you know, I had I had one SDR that was just a rock star on LinkedIn, and she could book meetings just through relationship, social social selling engagement on LinkedIn without ever making a phone call. She might send an email and send an in message, and just her tone and and the way she engaged was enough that people felt like they could trust her and spend a little bit of time. Right? Others have a different approach, so. Um, I think it's it's all about how to keep the motivation of the team up when it's the hardest job in the company, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And some of it is that. Some of it is it's a lot of attitude and grit and, you know, that competitive spirit that comes out in salespeople anyway because they yeah. always want to be on top. 
Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I don't know if that answered your question. I started rambling and started thinking about yeah. my team and about things that work. And um, what I appreciate about them so much is their resilience and their persistence in mm-hmm. just continuing and learning from one another and supporting one another, especially now because we're not in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Every one of them is at home. Yeah. And, you know, they're not, they're connected on, you know, like a, a chat, a, a texting kind of tool. We have, we use Ring Central and Glip. Um, and so they're, you know, they're connected that way, but it's, yeah. that's, it's, it's even tougher. Do you look, most of them are young. Most are young in their career, you know, more of an entry sales. Yeah. Are you looking for something in their childhood, college experience, hobbies, interests that are leading indicators to maybe them being successful in, in the role? Have you had a chance to kind of start profiling that yet? So, you know, that's a good question. I, I would ask my senior manager who runs the team, but I look for hunger. I look mm-hmm. for desire and I look for, you know, are they really in their gut wanting to win at this job? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're right. They're, they're early in their career. So they may have had one or two roles where they've been in a business development role or an early sales role and had seen good success. Um, but I think it's, you know, just how hungry are they and how passionate are they about certain and our purpose mm-hmm. and talking with finance professionals is that is finance is finance, right? And it is a, a, a very specific kind of conversation and people on the phone have to be credible with the, with finance leaders. Um, so that's what I look for. And then just giving people the opportunity to grow and thrive and, you know, build skills, I think is kind of what an SDR might get out of it, right? They're going to advance their career working yeah. at students um, and get to where they want to be, whether they want to transition to marketing or whether they want to transition into sales. Many, it's kind of split, right? Between what an S- the next step for an SDR is. Um, and regardless, we support getting them there. Yeah. Well, for you, your your path and my path in sales led us to careers in, in marketing. And mm-hmm. I certainly feel that the, I mean, it's not just me. I mean, if we look at the world today, it's a pretty fuzzy line between marketing and sales. Mm-hmm. And in the 2020 era where we have to do contactless selling, my, my mom, who's 84, is in the market for a car. And she keeps telling me like, you know, honey, should I go over to the Ford dealership and do that? I'm like, I'm, I'll take care of everything for you. And none of us need to set foot in the dealership. We can complete the entire transaction uh, digitally over email, over DocuSign. And who would have thought that years ago? But it's not just car companies or, you know, uh, things that we buy on Amazon. Every company has had to mm-hmm. pivot having the most uh, frictionless buying process, the most contact but the role between marketing and sales is just so integrated and, and so and, and customer success as well. I don't want to leave out the importance of growing the install base and having that partnership with yeah. uh, customer success as well. Well, and driving advocacy, right? Because word of mouth referenceability uh, is key. Like that's yeah. one of your bigger, bigger converters in terms of engagement is another customer telling their co- colleague who's at a different company. Hey, this is great stuff. You got to look at it. Right. That's like one of the strongest things we can get. Last question for you before we wrap up. Uh, <laughs> go back two, three, four, five years, whatever you want and give some advice to your former self or someone out there who's not yet CMO 
and could use a piece of advice on advancing his or her career to get to that that level? What would you offer them? What would you say was a, a, a an aspect for you that helped you get there and would pass on to them? Um, I think two things. Persistence. Just keep going one foot in front of the other. Um, there are going to be ups and downs in life. Know what's important. Have your life plan and think about, you know, a career was always important to me. That may not be the thing for all of your listeners, right? But career was always important to me. And I didn't always get there in a straight line. In fact, it was never a straight line. So the second piece mm-hmm. of advice is don't be discouraged by not a straight line. Mm-hmm. I got a piece of advice which said to me, you know, if you take a lateral move that might propel you forward three steps, or if you go back one step, you may go forward five steps. Um, and just be open to that, right? You, there, we go in a zigzag. It's not always yeah. clear. So be persistent in that. Keep your goal in mind. Um, and, uh, you know, have good mentors around you. Have good people around you who, you know, genuinely care who can give you tough advice and good advice and, you know, they have your back um, and, you know, keep going. Right? Yeah. I think those are the two things is just, just the persistence and listening to my mentors and, you know, just creating my own opportunities really. Love it. Well, thank you for sharing. You just, you just mentored someone uh, who's, who's either trying to get to that CMO role or maybe today, uh, feeling as 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 you do that the role is challenging it's dynamic which makes it exciting um you know i watched you join certain industries uh you know getting into solar and places to say hey, i'm going to take a risk here this this could be a home run this could be an okay thing so you've you've taken those risks and like you said it hasn't been a direct path um mm-hmm. and and you embrace that uh for those of you that want to connect with judy judy ash a s h on and um, it's been great, Judy, the, the journey together and seeing your growth and sharing your leadership. And thank you again for all the opportunity that you've given our team to grow and, and to support you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time today, Dave. I enjoy it. And I'm I'm really happy and consider you one of my best mentors, really, uh, truly. So thank you so much for today. I've enjoyed it. It's fun. I'm going to wrap up there. And hey, for everybody listening in, I got a suggestion by some of you that were looking at the D3 methodology that we covered in other podcasts, but I am going to uh, put a link to that in the show notes for Judy's session today so you guys can go start reading about it. What D3 is, is a methodology, a very holistic model for driving growth, driving revenue, and folks like Judy and others. It's really to be a blueprint for all of you to help you identify what initiatives you need to do to really maximize revenue growth. So there's a lot of information about it. Um, I'll put a link, as I said, to it in the show notes. Would love to hear your guys' thoughts on it. I'm going to continue finding amazing leaders like Judy uh, to share their insights around marketing leadership. And uh, thanks for tuning in as always. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 